This is the Ronin Rabbit Podcast, a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is episode 47. Keep in mind, uh, this is a spoiler podcast. I talk about the story, give away what's going on in the story. Uh, but to me, more importantly, I just give my thoughts on the story. Now, this particular issue, Usagi Ojimbo Volume 1, issue 33 from April 1992, that's over 30 years ago, so if you're still spoiled, come on. This issue was put out by Fantagraphics Books, and the story is entitled Broken Ritual. But before we get into that, if you guys want to leave feedback about this episode or any episode about Usagi Ojimbo, Feudal Japan, whatever's on your mind, perhaps... You can send that to a variety of places. Usagipodcast at gmail.com is one. You can leave comments on the Ronin Rabbit page on Google+. Comments on the website at bigtimenoise.com slash Rabbit. That site is part of the Comic Book Noise Network, which is part of the Deliberate Noise Network. Usagi Ojimbo is, or excuse me, Ronin Rabbit rather, is part of the reader feed. And on Facebook, episodes are posted on the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo Facebook page. I'd like to thank Steve for allowing me to do that. Now, as we get into our story, it opens... First of all, the, the cover really struck me. Uh, the cover has Usagi fighting a couple, I guess what you would call specters. And the I'm pretty sure the characters represented on the cover are the same as a couple characters that Mr. Sakai draws for us in the story itself, in the body of the story. However, on the cover, the ghosts, the specters, whatever you want to call them, are much more evil and gruesome looking than what is covered in the book. In the story, rather. In the story, they are depicted merely as the characters that they were prior to death. You know, they look like normal uh, Usagi universe characters. But on the cover, man, they're really skeletal and spectral and much more evil looking than what he depicts in the story. My only thoughts about that is that it must have been done to really grab a reader uh, just passing by looking at the covers to determine what they wanted to read. Because inside it's a much more sedate kind of representation of them, uh, if sedate is the correct word. Okay, uh, the story opens here at the very bottom of the page. We do get an indication that the story is by Stan Sakai with a plot from Sergio Aragonis, so I do feel I need to go ahead and throw that out there. Uh, for those of you that aren't aware, Sergio Aragonis is the man uh, responsible for many things, but I think he's best known for Gru the Barbarian, Gru the Wanderer, Gru whatever other um, adjective he may be using. Uh, the relationship goes back many, many years because Stan Sakai has lettered for a while or perhaps has always lettered the adventures of Gru whenever Sergio writes a, a new volume of that. We uh, see on the very first panel here, uh, my source material is the two-volume hardcover special edition of Usagi Ojimbo as put out by Fantagraphics Books. This contains the first volume uh, in its entirety between the two hardcovers of Usagi Ojimbo at Fantagraphics. We have a, um, a tiger-type character here 
who has one eye uh, covered by a bandage. He's got a top knot. He's sweating profusely. He's holding a, a sword or perhaps a, uh, a, a dirk in front of him um, as if he is preparing to perform uh, seppuku, which, uh, that being the representation, that is indeed part of what the story is about as we get into it. Usagi, when we first see him, is making his way through a forest at night. Uh, lots of breeze. You see leaves floating by. He's uh, The season and perhaps the breeze has him rather chilled. And in the midst of his journeys, he hears a, a rather anguished cry uh, that goes out loud enough, echoing through the mountains that he's in. And as he, he gets to a break in the mountains, a break between peaks, he, he can peer out into the valley a little bit there, and he sees a village off in the distance. We see in the panel the view from as if we're standing village side, and we see the thought bubbles out in front of us coming off of one of the ridges in the far background. So by this depiction, Usagi is quite a ways away, probably several hours from this village. He thinks that a couple things. There's a village, shelter, you know, perhaps food. I can sleep. Uh, But also I wonder if that's where that cry came from because that's the only habitable point uh, that he sees. So he descends into the village, and when he gets there, we have several panels of uh, the village depicting a certain level of desertedness. The village is, is completely boarded up. Usagi can't really see or he he doesn't see any people he can't really see any indications of life we see the leaves blowing through you know almost reminiscent of that spaghetti western tumbleweed in the town kind of thing so usagi goes on into the village and uh, comes upon a tokage that when it notices him it screams and runs off uh, much in panic as depicted by the or thereabout, sorry about that, that the Tokagi elicits as it runs away. And this just adds to Usagi's curiosity that, you know, something is definitely going on here. These villages almost always have people, and, you know, Tokagi never react, much less to him that way. Heck, he even had a companion Tokagi once, so he's, you know, they they like him for the most part. He's wandering around. He sees a particular building. Through the shutters, he can see light. So he goes up to that building first, knocks on the shutter. The light promptly goes out. Continuing on, he looks around, sees another building that has lights, goes up to it, and it's an inn. Uh, He enters the inn, closes the door behind him, uh, frightening much everybody there that someone is walking in. He sits down, orders, and while he's waiting as the... um, proprietor is leaving to fulfill Usagi's order. One of the last questions that Usagi throws out at him is, oh, by the way, what was that wailing I heard a little while ago? Everybody in the room, uh, let's see, five, six people, including the proprietor, react um, surprised, uh, anxiously. You know, we have people spitting things out, throwing down their food. The proprietor gets this look on his face with a big lump in his throat further indication that something is going on. Off to the side, we have a gentleman who is named, let's see, Nishimura, indicates he's the local corner bookstore owner, and um, he tells Usagi, that was the ghost of General Todoka, 
a vassal to the late Lord Mafuni. And of course, we are familiar with Mafuni as uh, Usagi was retainer uh, for Lord Mafuni prior to the Battle of the Adachi Plain, uh, such that he was part of the personal retinue, personal guard of Lord excuse me, Mafuni. Asks the shopkeeper Nishimura for further information, but the shopkeeper puts him off saying, now is not the time, uh, night, darkness. Let's wait until morning when this, you know, scary evil tale is told under the light of the sun. It's not so bad. So at that point, I suppose they stayed at the inn until sunrise. Nishimura escorts Usagi to his bookstore, goes in, and they sit over tea, and he tells them the story, Nishimura tells them the story of the General Todoka. After the battle of uh, Adashi Plain, when Lord Mafuni's forces were routed, General Todoka and one of his lieutenants, in trying to escape uh, and live for a little while longer, knowing that uh, any of Lord Hikiji's men that uh, found them would kill them as they were retainers of the just-defeated Lord Mafuni. Wander into the village, and, and they start throwing their samurai weight around, asking for food, asking for water, asking for shelter. Then, when they are sufficiently recovered, which is, is pretty quickly because they're, they're, they know that they're being chased... Uh, they try to rally the village to counterattack Lord Hikiji uh, in the name of Lord Mifune, in that also this is Mifune's land, so these villagers are vassals to Lord Mifune. They, they are honor-bound, obligated to heed that call. Well, when General Todoka um, tries to uh, f- uh, force them, they, they run. Everybody hides. Nobody does anything. Further infuriating the the general, but more so his lieutenant, who wants to run around and just start killing everybody for the dishonor. But General Todoka refrains them, uh, refrains his lieutenant. That's not the way. You know, that's not the way we're going to do things. In the midst of their uh, last ditch rallying effort, a messenger rides through the village here, exclaiming that now Mufuni is dead, as Hikiji's forces have stormed Mufuni's castle, captured and killed him. So now there is virtually no hope for any of Lord Mufuni's uh, retinue, vassals, anything. The vassal, I take that back. The vassals are pretty safe. Every lord needs worker bees, and the vassals will be that. Doesn't matter who the lord is, they're probably going to be treated like poo no matter who it is, because they're the lowest class. Todoka, on the other hand, and his lieutenant realized that, you know, we're military. Our lord is indeed dead. We have no chance. Well, you have to, you have to, there's two things that you can do. You can become a ronin, uh, such as Usagi, which is looked at as more than a little little dishonorable. Uh, your job in staying loyal to your lord that is now dead is to be dead yourself. That you follow your lord wherever he goes, whatever he does. That's your that's your pledge, your vow. So, whenever in in feudal Japan, whenever you have this massive turnover. 
uh, it, it, it was fairly easy for one person to take over another person because when they kill that other person, most of the, their retainers kill themselves as well or allow themselves to be killed uh, in, in honorable means. So you, you don't have to worry too much in taking somebody's place about being backstabbed by their people. Rather, at this time, you have to worry about your own people, which is really messed up. A lot like Rome. You know, it, it's hardly ever the outsiders that caused the turnover of Roman rulers. It was someone from within their retinue, their family even, perhaps. So, uh, Tadoka is uh, is is in this position. Uh, he realizes that his lord is dead. We have several panels of him taking off his armor. Uh, he and his lieutenant are fully decked in battle armor, uh, having just returned from or having just escaped from one. And we have uh, an interesting display here of the various portions of the armor. If if I may read this, if you guys will hang with me here. This is Nishimura telling Usagi in Nishimura's bookstore, okay, what he remembers seeing that night. He removed his kabuto, which is the big helmet that usually is has all these ornamental kind of things, but it, it also is an integral part of the armors that the Japanese, particularly samurai, wore at this time. Uh, envision kind of a feudal Japanese helm, like the knights of, of England and France in the medieval period used to wear. Uh, He removed his kabuto slowly, reverently, as if he had all the time in the world, as if the enemy were not barking at his heels. Continuing those same reverent motions, he undid his tachi, which is the long sword of the two-sword assortment that samurais will wear, and his dirk, that's the shorter sword. Now, I'm, I'm not used to hearing it called a dirk. I thought a dirk was a much shorter kind of thing. I I always assumed that the samurais had a long and short sword, uh, a dirk being even smaller. So I'm I'm not sure by the usage of the word there. Then he untied his belt, his waist cord and shoulder cords. He took off his karas and shoulder guard. Karas is the main body of the armor, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, followed by his under armor padding and sleeves. Then he sat on the dirt he closed his eyes for a minute, then placed his own dirk down in front of him. Now, what what General Tadoka is doing is preparing to perform seppuku, the ritualized uh, suicide that the honor-bound feel m- must occur whenever their lord particularly is killed in battle. Now, uh, there is also a case where the retinue of a lord will do this when he has been murdered, uh, and that was, uh, I think, was the driving force b- behind, and the title of the story escapes me, but it was the it was the adaptation of that work that Stan Sakai just did, uh, having put Usagi Ojimbo on hiatus for like three years. He adapted that story for Dark Horse, and um, Keanu Reeves starred in an adaptation, a movie adaptation of that same story, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember it, but in that one, the vassals, or the the, uh, the uh, military retinue, the guards and whatnot, of a murdered and assassinated lord, rather than performing seppuku, they hid until such a time as they could exact revenge for their lord, and then after having done that, after having completed their mission, they all gathered to ritually perform the seppuku 
uh, for a couple reasons, to follow their Lord, but also because they had been dishonorable in the the unsupported, um, as it were, attack of this other Lord, uh, kind of a almost a guerrilla kind of affair. Uh, anyways, sorry about that. Um, Todoka is preparing himself for seppuku. His lieutenant, his second, uh, knows his job to stand to the side, sword ready, so that after the cuts are applied by the person committing the seppuku in order to stop their suffering, when when they have suffered through doing that to themselves, they're then decapitated, and, and that's that finishes the ritual. The, the idea is that they are doing this thing. There's no reason for them to then suffer. So they prepare. Uh, Todoka administers the cuts in his abdomen first across and then up. Uh, but before his second can deliver the killing blow, uh, Hikiji's men find them, jump the lieutenant, killing him. And then they just allow Todoka to sit there suffering while they playfully draw straws and you know figure out who's going to get the honor and I'm throwing up air quotes, of killing this uh, enemy soldier. You know, they, they play around with it. In the midst of all this, there are several panels showing that even in this uh, severe condition that Todoka is in, the Hikiji men are still very afraid of him and only deliver the killing blow as they can muster the courage to do so. So Mifune finishes the uh, story that he was telling Usagi, Nishimura, excuse me. Nishimura finishes the story. Usagi sits and contemplates for a minute and then comes to a decision. He, he knows what, what he needs to do. So he uh, has the shopkeeper wake him up the next night. He requests a bucket of water and a ladle. Usagi goes out. It seems after this that there was a puddle of blood of the generals that has never disappeared. It may wax and wane in size, but it never goes away. So Usagi goes to that puddle as as the the point of uh, the the geographic point of what he's going to do, and he cleanses his blade and he waits. Uh, the general only appears at the full moon. His ghost appears. I'm sorry, I, I said all that and didn't didn't really finish the tale. The, the ghost appears in the village where he was murdered by the opposing force and uh, sits there throughout the night, basically, and when the sun rises, his, his ghost disappears. This is the second night of the full moon. This is the last chance Usagi has to do this. So he cleanses his sword, he goes out there and waits, and sure enough, the, uh, the ghost of Todoka appears. He is sitting here preparing as it was seen via the story to perform seppuku. When Usagi sees the materialization of the ghost, he says, General Todoka, I am Mayamoto Usagi. My family has been retainers to the Mufuni clan for generations. I myself served as Lord Mufuni's personal bodyguard during the Great Wars. It would be my honor to act as your second. And again, Todoka performs the, the seppuku, and then when the time comes, Usagi decapitates the ghost. The ghost dissipates and vanishes. The final page of the, the story, we see that it wasn't that the 
the the the issue that the general's ghost had was that he was not able to perform the ritual for himself he was not able to honor his family's name himself not any of the being on the losing side or any of that stuff he needed to retain his honor and until he could the ghost could not continue its journey to you know whatever levels of whatever that the um feudal Japanese at this time believed. So Usagi was able to dispatch the ghost, send him on his way, and free this village from its hauntings. Now, about the only other word uh, that was introduced, uh, Kabuto, the Tachi, uh, Seppuku was in there as well, was Ashigaru. And that is the name and perhaps the military rank or title of the foot soldiers that were common in this period, this feudal period of Japan. All right, guys, next time out is The Tangled Skein, which is a short story that appeared in Critters Volume 1, Issue 38, from 1989, uh, published by Fantagraphics Books. That's what's next in my book. I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, It seems kind of out of order, but... As I am following the book, that is what we will talk about next time. See you guys then. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, non-derivatives, 3.0, unported license.